0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Film is clearly a sophisticated art, possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice, writes James Monaco in his book How to Read a Film. So far in our podcast, The Artists, we have had filmmakers, writers, critics, programmers from some of the top film festivals, musicians, thinkers defining their combinatorial skills. We at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast, which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences and also we have tied up with epilogue media the podcasting network so you can find us on their website epilogue media slash the artist and of course you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from apple podcast to spotify to geo to google podcast everything is mentioned in the description and of course you can reach us uh on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host Suchitha and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Artists. We are in conversation with the Bosnian-Canadian director Igor. He's uh, his, his got a complicated surname, which I will not be able to do justice to, so I've asked him to pronounce his surname, towards the end of the podcast. I happened to watch his very atmospheric film, The White Fortress. Totally loved it, got taken in by it. Uh, it had its premiere at uh, the just-concluded Berlinale Film Festival. His earlier works uh, have been premiered in Toronto and Rotterdam. His debut film, Cravina and his uh, second film, The Waiting Room, was premiered at Locarno Film Festival. I'm so glad Igor could take our time and be part of this conversation where we talk about various things, including the premiere of his film at Berlinale, being a refugee and migrating during the war, and its impact on his storytelling, what keeps him going in these uncertain times, and being a part of this extremely painful profession when it comes to raising funds also the co-production aspect of his film between bosnia and canada also we talk about the distribution aspect of his film and how much does a filmmaker need to get involved in the sales aspect this is more so stay tuned and enjoy the conversation hi igor welcome to a podcast the artist and thank you for joining us from vancouver and uh, I j- absolutely loved your film, The White Fortress, which was uh, premiered in Berlinale. Uh, what What were your thoughts about it post the premiere?
1: Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, after the premiere at the Berlinale about a week ago now, um, w- the thoughts are like, it, like reactions still keep coming in. Uh, like a lot of sort of sites have re- decided to review these sidebars a bit late. So like we're getting a lot of feedback even now. So it's it's nice to see that the film is having uh, some traction um and that like other film festivals are sort of interested and hopefully we can show it to more people um in person once the pandemic sort of we hope anyway once the pandemic is um a- dealt with a bit better um so but it's a, it's a very interesting Berlinale in the sense that it's the first and only one probably that will be In this format which is like this digital launch for industry Mm -hmm. and then an uh, in-person part two the summer special uh, for uh, for the public Mm -hmm. so so we don't like it the the, the thing that's different about this particular edition is that you don't get that feedback from the audience right so you have no idea how people are going to react to the movie Uh, Mm. like like just the general film goers so on that level it's like it's a it's a it's it's a perplexing sort of um, sort of unknown for every sort of filmmaker.
0: Mm-hmm. But Igor, did did you sort of uh, were you happy post the whole the whole screening? And of course, I checked out your uh, interview as well, which was on the Bolinale site. Uh, uh, were you sort of happy with the kind of did you did you expect? What did you expect post Bolinale? Did you get that?
1: Because we because of the sort of strangeness of the time we're living in, mm. like we, our expectations were tempered in a way, right? Mm. Like we know what's possible in this environment and what's not possible. Mm. But at the same time, because the curation is tighter, like there's fewer films. Yes. Like my, my, my hope anyway was that like films would still have the same amount of sort of opportunity to stand out as they would in a physical space, mm. in a physical festival. Um, so like, in this kind of situation other than like pushing the film indefinitely to like maybe next year, cause we already pushed its premiere, right? Because right. the film was ready in the fall
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we just kept putting off like the biggest possible launch. Um, and it, it's some, it's something that like, like you, you of have to move on and the way the film financing works, like the film, file has to be completed so to speak Mm. uh before you can you know recoup all the tax credits and everything else that needs to be done Mm. so there's there's like a for for films in general like films that are financed through uh these co-production schemes like they need to be seen you know fairly quickly you can't just hold on to it for like years Um, yes so so the opportunity came when we were invited, and uh, we thought it was like a good fit, uh, mm. generation program yes. for this film. Mm. Um, and um, because of like the, the super strong curation and the reputation of of, of that sidebar, uh, we 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 went with it. And um, yeah, we were quite happy with the response that we got from uh, on the industry side. Right. Um, but but like we're still waiting for that sort of ability to show it to the public right. so temper your expectations when you're in this sort of a new environment i think that's sort of like a key thing for filmmakers to understand like you are not going to have this same ability to to do the things that you would need to do in a physical space right like right. those things are off limits until further notice so to speak yeah mm-hmm.
0: Igor, your film is so beautifully done, it's so atmospheric, it's so beautifully treated, the performances, the entire flow of the film, the rhythm of it. Why did you want to make this mm-hmm. film?
1: Um, it, this film started off in 2012, and mm-hmm. it was inspired by a short film I did called Woman in Purple, set mm-hmm. in Al-Pashnopalya, the same neighborhood where Farooq lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what when I was making The Woman in Purple, what really kind of got to me is this declining sense of uh, uh, emphasis or place made for youth and sort of like their their dreams their aspirations are kind of ignored by that society and this like extreme um, this extreme wealth inequality that sort of emerged there post-war um, where the young people whether they're rich or they're poor in some in many ways are, trapped in a system that doesn't allow them to, you know, move the needle, move the country in any meaningful way because of the institutions that are there. So I wanted to create a, this 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 possibility of like two people from two very different sort of backgrounds, even though maybe 20, 30 years ago, they would have been the same sort of um, socioeconomic class, um, their families anyway. And um, and just imagine like how through chance uh these two people fall in love mm. despite the difficulties and the hurdles they might be having in their own private lives and how fleeting this feeling is how this sort of naive uh, this naive feeling might actually be the only real feeling in the in this kind of space where um where like dreams and aspirations of the young people are kind of not prioritized people are mm-hmm. leaving in a mass numbers like bosnia is being depopulated mm-hmm. um it's not a it's a story that's locals are aware of the international community is not that Red. like essentially people are leaving
2: mm-hmm. some are
1: disappearing not that many but some are disappearing because of crime and all these other um illicit activities but but like the, the biggest sort of challenge in that in that space is um um, is the young people leaving like immigrating to other countries uh parts of europe north america uh, australia new zealand etc yeah, you migrated but, like yourself
0: like you, did, did you
1: so uh, my family left during the war so we mm. were refugees for about a year mm. like we traveled ex-yugoslavia we were uh, in croatia we were in serbia for a bit we were in slovenia austria and then we, we eventually came to canada mm. um so when
0: was that? So I was
1: I was nine.
0: Uh, oh my uh, turn, god! And turned okay. turned
1: ten when I was a refugee. So I was mm-hmm. I was a kid. My parents made that decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so so uh, the young people, like fifty to a hundred thousand people, leave the country, like fifty to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. a year, mm-hmm. and that country only has like three point two million people, yes. and and the, and the birth rate can't keep up, right? Yeah. So it's really in a. It's a really in a strange space, and mm. that's really why I wanted to make this film about like these this love story you know that that is that is short lived but at the same time um this this kind of like uh, disappearances these, these 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 like young people who are essentially just leaving in in mass numbers.
0: Mm. the war must have really influenced you as a person and as a filmmaker
1: yes you could you could say that yes
0: um Where are your parents it's, it's, now
1: uh, are my my mom passed away unfortunately okay, sure. about nine nine years ago right. uh my dad lives in toronto right. i recently moved to vancouver to teach okay and my brother also lives in toronto so yeah mm. we're we're very much in canada uh all of us
2: mm.
1: and um the 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 war kind of set in motion this this sort of need to explore uh childhood and and explore um sort of this coming of age narrative a bit more and mm. and uh and the, the sort of the lingering traumas of 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 being forced to leave or, or of being you know um in, in a situation where the family couldn't stay there anymore so like my my ba- my family is mixed ethnically Mm-hmm. Which, which makes it very complicated to kind of position yourself uh, in that space, especially during the war. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really see a, a place there anymore. So they decided to immigrate. And um, and like immigration and, and these sort of war um, stories, uh, coming-of-age stories, they kind of shaped uh, my own sort of like uh, therapy in a way. Like I I. I feel like art is very therapeutic um and it kind of helped my own sort of mental health and thinking about these uh, these things so that's sort of why um i kind of pursued pursued this uh but yeah i think i think i'm reaching sort of like a plateau of like moving in different directions with my work but at the same time i think bosnia still plays a major major part in, in like shaping me as a person and also as a filmmaker.
0: Mm, absolutely It's beautiful, Igor. Tell me, you are a filmmaker and you are also a professor. You teach uh, at a university there in Vancouver. Uh, mm-hmm. Filmmaking is a tough profession. Uh, you already have made this. I think this is your fourth or a fifth film, right? If I'm not wrong.
1: Four, fourth feature, uh, third narrative feature. Right.
0: So so so, tell me, Igor, what keeps you going? In the profession of making films it's uncertain and it's painful
1: um <laughs> sometimes i don't not know i think it's like what else would you do right like you've started this journey and it and the weird thing is it does not get easier right like mm. you would think that like you finish your first feature. My first f- feature was done for, like, $15,000. Uh, it was oh an MFA God. thesis film. Mm. It was released in, like, 2012. It, it had, it had like, a, a a good festival run, but beyond the festival run, it, it's sort of a... Um, it, it's not that easy to acquire, so to speak. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. have major... Yeah, it, it,
0: it was primarily Toronto. It also was at Rotterdam, if I'm not wrong. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: and 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 like in north america you can kind of watch it but like elsewhere it's sort of not the easiest thing to find and i I think we have to do a better job of like just sort of putting it on platforms because the sales agents sort of once the film is old they don't really care about it anymore yes so and um the the that led to another film the the waiting room and um that film was uh we got a bit more support we got council support and telefilm uh contributed a bit of money but it was still a very micro budget 200 to two well, hundred fifty thousand dollars canadian mm-hmm. um and, and it was a lot of sort of favors uh to get it get it off the ground yes so in, in the canadian system it was like a very tiny film uh and that also did the, 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 the sort of the festival route um and then i did the I had stone speakers which would, looked at tourism uh, in Bosnia, and that was just council funding. It's like a micro budget, like hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, and then this is the first sort of bigger project where that involved like a, a major like an actual co-production. Uh, and it started off as an entirely European project. And we th- I actually thought the film was was like one of those uh, projects that is going to sort of be shelved and um, even though we had a lot of support for the screenplay, we they decided, look, we, there was just no way to finance it. Like nobody was going to give that initial uh, first investment. And in Bosnia, there isn't much money and you're sort of a filmmaker coming from afar. So like the, It's a complicated sort of socio political situation over there when it comes to funding in general, because um, there's like support for like one feature film a year, oh uh, sometimes, none, hmm. sometimes none. Mm. so when Canada entered the Eurimage it allowed for the for a Canadian company to become a majority producer mm. and and um there's been a lot of discussions on identity and like um how that's sort of part of the filmmaking process for a lot of Canadian filmmakers especially Canadian immigrant filmmakers uh so like Deepa Mehta for example mm. like those the famous trilogy of films that she yes. did mm. uh sort of you, everybody thought that would move the needle to like kind of allow other people to to make films uh, about, you know, their their countries of origin and like sh- sort of shave these narratives. But it didn't actually change that much. Like even she was forced to like sh- shoot two versions of the film, one in English and one uh, one in Hindi. So it it was um, it was a, it was only recently that there was like this more opening for um, ha- having you know filmmakers engage in these other languages that are not English or French uh, in a more serious way mm-hmm. through the Canadian system through the Canadian system of funding
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they still want the, the language to be primarily like one of the um, the official languages including the the various Aboriginal languages that got added uh, very late in fact um, so the entire sort of filmmaking, uh, funding system is constantly being, uh, re- sort of re rethought, which is a good thing. I think like mm-hmm. it, it was like a very archaic mo- model that maybe worked for the nineties, but doesn't really work anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, that in turn with kind of the Image, allowed for a project like this to exist where you're shooting in, in Bosnia, but a lot of the talent is actually from Canada. And, um, uh, you know the the crew, the crew, and some of the cast. So it was it was uh, it was a very long journey. So like it started in uh, end of 2012, and when when we first got some funding to to write a script, and and it and it ended really, I guess with the with the premiere of the film in the Berlinale. Oh, I guess it's eight it years.
0: Took, it took
1: it took eight years. Yeah.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god, Igor. That's like that's a lot of time 8 years to raise funds for this how did you keep going it's like you know you can dip into depressions with the slow face of raising funds
1: well you you do other projects that's how you keep hmm. afloat like in the while i was f- like finance while we were financing this film hmm. i did three other projects that were completed and released in the meantime okay that's so, uh-huh.
0: so while this was so, going on uh-huh.
1: Because like I, want, I think it was in 2017 uh, or 2016, like I, I didn't think the, f- the the film can be revived. Like I don't think it was possible. And then, like I said, when the Canada joined Euromage, they were looking for projects that combine Canada and other European countries, right? Mm-hmm. And the non-traditional partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. So. They were open to that all, all of a sudden because mm. the natural partnership for Canadian film are English or French speaking right territories. So like a UK Canada co-production, mm. um, uh, a Canada Ireland co-production, um, a Canada Belgium France uh, co-production, right? Mm. So those are natural sort of co-productions that are very common in that yes. space. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones are still happen occasionally but they're not that common. And as far as we know, this is the first Bosnian-Canadian co-production ever. Mm, mm, um, awesome. I mean, Yugoslavia had co-productions with Canada before the war. Mm. Uh, so, And we were still under the same sort of treaty mechanism that was put in place in 1988, ironically enough. So, uh, yeah, there was a treaty signed with Yug- Yugoslavia and, and Canada in 1988. And all the territories that make up to date what what make up that former country like Serbia Croatia Slovenia etc they all have to abide by that same treaty that was signed in 1988 so like you get this document and like you're kind of going through it to figure out how you're going to navigate it and it's just like it was it was approved in 1988 mm-hmm. by a country that no longer exists so it was it was a very it was a very interesting sort of uh, experience uh, mm-hmm. in many ways um,
0: mm-hmm. so right. Um, right but, but yeah it
1: eventually became possible to, to pull it off
0: right right. you're telling me you know what filmmakers take such a long time it, it's a challenging time when you're trying to raise funds then the second challenge is trying to make the film and the third challenge is trying to put it out there in a festival do you think you know as we were just talking about your earlier f- films and I've, I've questioned this in the earlier episodes of the podcast as well you know where do we get to watch your film like Ravina The Waiting Room and how does an audience, for example, being in India or any other country, get to watch these films, which has been made with so much of flavor of love, but are limited to a certain space of distribution?
1: Um, a lot of the films are available, like on Vimeo, on uh, like Amazon, sort of like those Amazon iTunes. US, Amazon US, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, some are Amazon World, like I believe. Hmm. Um, but a lot, a lot of them are available on Vimeo.
2: <clears throat> so v- at least like
1: the last two, the first two. So, hmm. so the the um, Vimeo
0: Pro, you mean? Is
1: it? Yeah, like Vimeo on yes. demand
0: or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. VOD. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, so the the. Um, because, yeah, depending on, like, some the sales agents sometimes sell a territory and then, like, it's only on one platform. So it gets really complicated mm. uh, unless, unless, like, a big uh, platform picks up the film, right? So, like, mm. in Canada, it's available on, like, all these platforms. And then in the U.S., it's only available on one. And it's all based on, like, the distribution agreement that's in place uh, with the U.S. distributor and the sales agent. Uh, and then eventually, once that expires, and that that's usually takes about a decade, then the filmmaker gets to sort of re exploit the film on other platforms again. Right. Right. Um, So like, that's, that's sort of like what some of the projects, some of the projects are in that sort of in between phase. Um, And it's a fickle industry in the sense that like a lot of the smaller sales agents, um, they might, they got, they they might be bought out by a bigger one. So like the the licensing is confusing um, or they just disappear, right? Like, so this sort of gray area happens with uh, film fine, film distribution,
2: mm. where
1: the filmmaker really has to kind of push the 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 film on these platforms, otherwise it just sort of gets lost. Like it's lost and to us. um, and that's what I'm finding it, especially films from like small countries or dealing uh, with issues from like these smaller kind of uh, speaking regions. So like, in the case of Pravina or the waiting room. It's a it's a film that's in Bosnian primarily, right? So mm-hmm. it 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 does not usually get picked up in the same way that like you know um, any of the bigger language families, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if a, an Indian film is more likely to get sort of uh, have the ability to to be seen or like promoted on these platforms in part because there is there's there's a there's a body behind it that will watch it, right? So like if you have like a language group that only has like a few million people uh, I'm, I'm finding it it's a very sort of um, different way of, of, of approaching mm. it, right? Right. So the that's why it's always beneficial to sort of have the films in like a major language.
0: Mm, um, interesting. And through,
1: through working on the, with this process you begin mm. to see that.
0: Did you plan to do that for the next project?
1: Well, the the next film I'm working on is actually not tied. It, it, there's a fil- short film I made called The Archivists mm. uh, that came out last year at TIFF, yeah. and I, I'm I'm working on a longer sort of episodic version of that short, mm. and it deals. It's like a dystopian tale of like a group of traveling musicians, um, and it, it's really just interested in 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 telling a story that's not tied to a particular sort of cultural framework that mm. exists in, in in the present uh it's very much sort of uh a, a, a sort of a science fiction speculative fiction mm. um, uh, narrative mm. and so yeah but it's definitely in, in, the more i think about it the more i realize it's informed by war and like this ju- this sort of these journeys that my family and uh my friends have been on um because of that war So you realize that you're still working with similar themes Mm -hmm. in the end, but you're just finding a new framework for them. Mm.
0: But you're going to intend to make it in English?
1: Yeah, it's English. It's It's English.
0: English, It's darling. Okay, tell me, Igor, coming back to uh, the, the, the audience, the distribution aspect of it, when you made your first film, Kravina, then The Waiting Room, and now... With the White Fortress, do you see yourself uh, getting involved in as a as a filmmaker getting involved in the distribution or the sales aspect of the film? Uh, do you think about reaching the right audience and pushing your sales agents in that direction? Do you think a filmmaker should get involved in that
1: aspect? I think if you should be if you're hands on and if you if you have a network. Mm. Um, and kind of combine that with the, the network, the sales agent has, it can be helpful, um, sort of like expanding the opportunities and possibilities for the film. Hmm. So I, it's important to kind of keep in constant contact with the sales agent. And I and, and think when I started out, I was quite bad at that. Like,
2: you
1: hmm. I, I, I just assume there's like, you, you, you don't, there shouldn't be sort of interference. And I think the good sales agents are the ones that will respond to you and very quickly, like, Uh, you realize who are good and who are bad sales agents and just because they're a very big sales agent like a big company doesn't mean they're good like they can still treat your film really poorly Mm. um and like we've had some pretty poor experiences with like really big french sales agents on Mm. some of the projects that i've done with my producing partner yeah so like you have to be very careful about sales agents and their and what they promise you and what they can do for your film um the really big ones um are just as likely to bury your film as, as the small one sometimes. Right. So, so like be really careful about like the fit, how many films they take, uh, talking to filmmakers that had filmed there, just asking programmers and other people about the reputation of, of, the, of the, of the, of that sales agent. Uh, cause it's really important that, you know, that, you know, that the team behind is actually dedicated. Um, and it's not just, um, and it's, and it's not like there's like a passion and art behind it. It's not pure business. Um, they have to really kind of connect with the film because sometimes they'll connect with the film but still don't do nothing for you, right? Like um, if they don't get the deal that they're after, they just bury your, your film and that's like a really bad position to be in.
0: Oh my God. Okay, so, so constantly being in touch with your agent. Uh, uh, tell me Igor in terms of uh, 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 how long? Just coming to the creative aspect of the film. How long did it take for you to uh, write the film?
1: Um, did
0: you put it in labs one, and stuff, or it was just like
1: no? Y- it no. was both. Yeah. Okay. So the the journeys. It was Huberval's funded initially, hmm. so the Rotterdam lab. Right. Um, so because because it, it, it's like a it's a Bosnian it's a Bosnian project. It was started off as a Bosnian project, right. and they had that fund for. Uh, the uh, film countries that that were still like in development, right? Like in in early stages of of, of developing their film yes. film uh, film film independent film practices, hmm. and um, and then subsequently, it got accepted to uh, uh, Cinemart the following year, and that's hmm. where it won a Eurimages Development Award, uh, hmm. the script,
2: yeah. and
1: that sort of pushed it. And then we got a lot of attention, and people were reading the the film. Uh, and then you got an award at CineLink, which was the Sarajevo equivalent of Cinemart. Um uh And then that led to a residency at the at Moulin d'Ande in France. So I, sp- I had like two and a half months or so to like work on the script in France. Um, and then that also led to Atelier at Cannes. Mm. So like the, the project was sort of really got a lot of attention, that initial uh, sort of phase and then nothing. So like uh. we couldn't get any of the money that we needed to to finance it in Bosnia because they just kept rejecting us, and um, despite the like development support, right? So mm. the process of writing really kind of like a solid draft that I felt was in a shape to shoot soon was 2014, and and then nothing for years, right? And then like mm. only in 2018. Uh, was there talk about reviving it, but th- through a slightly different um, method of, of of financing, which is like Canada as a majority, and Bosnia as a minority, instead of Canada as a minority and Bosnia mm. as a majority?
2: Mm.
1: So we just flipped it. We flipped we flipped the the uh, script on how to finance it, and it mm. worked.
2: Mm.
0: Nice, but
1: and the, yeah. and then finally Bosnia came on board too, right? Like the funds and
0: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you already, you already had a commitment from Canada,
0: right? Right, Igor. Tell me, uh, tell me about filmmaking in Bosnia. Uh, it's it's very uh, minuscule, as you were talking about. There is a film from Bosnia this year uh, in Oscar shortlist or something. That's right. Uh, uh, submission. Uh, Kvavadi,
1: hmm. Kvavadi Aida. That's right. The Asmala film.
0: Did you Did you see that?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. I watched it recently. It was like it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's uh. it's like it's a it's, it's a story about. Um, like um, the the sort of the genocide that was perpetrated in seven minutes, uh, yeah. In during in ninety five during mm. the sort of the the, uh, the tail end of the Bosnian civil war, mm. and it, it's devastating. It's a it's a very it's a very powerful film, mm. but it's it, it's it's very devastating watching it. Um, yeah.
0: But, what do you think? It's 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 buzzing. The film is buzzing. I think, oh no, it's set. powerful. Like I, mm. I think people.
1: Watch it. It, mm. it really the the journey of that protagonist. Even though she didn't exist, she was inspired by people that existed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like finding this sort of marriage between uh, a character that's sort of inspired by by real people, and then putting them in a situation that's very much real and happened. It, it's it's um it's 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 it's, it's, it's I don't want to spoil it for people. But like it really kind of um, made me uneasy in part because the some of the, the end moment, the last few scenes sort of reinforced sort of my own experiences when I visited Bosnia. The the these sort of people that are just sort of among the everyday banal situations who were like, you know, members of these death squads that killed a lot of these people, and they just sort of move around in these spaces like nothing ever happened. It, it, it's a very, um, it's it's a very kind of um, in, inherently post-war uh, story in terms of how after a lot of these wars that happen, you have the perpetrators just continuing their lives and they're never really held to account. Right. A lot of mm-hmm. maybe the commanders might be, but like a lot of the sort of the the soldiers that that, that follow the orders they're just sort of in that in those spaces um,
2: mm. like,
1: continuing their lives taking their kids to 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 um, uh fest festivals intermingling with the neighbors whose families they killed like it's just it's just like a very unnerving mm. uh, right. emotionally unnerving uh, uh Situation and the resilience of people who have the ability to go back and remember their ancestors, remember their families, and live among the people that actually carried it off, carried it out Hmm. is—it's mind-boggling sometimes.
0: Is this filmmaker living in Bosnia? Are there filmmakers living in Bosnia, or most of them are? So she
1: she moved recently to Germany, but she was very much in Bosnia for most of her filmmaking endeavor. So, well, okay. but like, just like, like, just like every other filmmaker in Bosnia, the ability to raise money for your film is almost impossible. Mm. Like, that feature only had about 5% of its budget raised in Bosnia, the rest was international. Mm. So like, it's not a space that's uh, designed to have to use culture in a way to kind of inform and and and, 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 and enlighten. Mm. Um, culture is seen as a threat in many ways, like, films uh, that are critical of the system or critical of something are seen as like a liability for the country uh, and that's how the, some of the politicians see it right not i'm not talking about the general population yes, i'm talking yeah. about the politicians Of course, yeah. and the country is still very much tied into this ethno-political framework so the war ended but the people that wage the war are still very much in charge the apparatus is the same it doesn't have a healthy civic society it's it, it, everything is based on ethnic keys are you are you serbian are you Bosniak? are you uh croat mm. um the identity of being a bosnia Herzegovinian, which is what a lot of the sort of my friends and the young people in bosnia sort of aspire to be like mm. we're just bosnians right like we're just from bosnia we're bosnia Herzegovinian. uh this is just a geographical space and a cultural sort of shared space that is seen as a threat so right. like all these ethno-political sort of parties are just Making sure that nobody, in their right mind, uh, really takes this seriously—that this idea of, of, of a, of a civic option—they um, mm-hmm. but, but, find it very threatening. Yeah. Uh,
0: did that affect your your shooting, uh, permissions there?
1: Um, for or... this film, no. This film was entirely mm-hmm. shot in Canton Sarajevo. But my experience of shooting stone speakers, which which is the documentary I did in mm. 2018 um, was released in 2018. Mm. Yeah, yeah mm. It, it also had a similar sort of like started that was released in, in North America, TIFF and then played Berlinale. Mm. Um, that one, that one, uh, we did encounter resistance to us sort of in, making inquiries. So like we shot in Visegrad, which is in the Serbian part of Bosnia, uh, the Serbska, Republica Srpska. Mm. And it's 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 far more like. Draconian, that sort of state than the federation, federation, because there's very little sort of uh, it's ethnically pure, like it's much more much less mixing and the party apparatus is like everywhere. They make sure that, like, you don't kind of do any kind of uh, narratives that put them in bad light um so Vizhigla was was another place where like over a thousand people were massacred and uh, oh over God. over the duration of the war mm-hmm. and um and it was it was like a very sort of unnerving story where like in neighbors along with like this the sort of the um the arkans arkans tigers they that came from from serbia they they kind of per- perpetuated this massacre and this this narrative this this falsification to justify it. And that's still part of like the the makeup of the of the of the of some of the young people and some of the people that sort of still buy into this narrative. And the narrative that was spun there is like before the war is that like um, the Bosniaks are a threat. They're going to like kill your children and do this. da da, da. They're going to cook your children or whatever. And people actually bought into this nonsense, some of them. Mm, mm. And that in turn led to like the Serbs massacring a lot of them. So you're like, it's kind of like. um, This sort of this sort of like situation that that is sort of prevalent today, these kind of conspiracy theories, Uh, you know, even in the US, for example, with the Pizzagate, right, Mm. Um, the all those kinds of situations is how the war in bosnia was waged right mm. where you would you would spread this like ridiculous conspiracy theory to justify killing people mm. and then some of the people would fall in line and and like feel like that they're justified right so the main narrative for example that uh was was used to perpetuate the war and still is like part of like the common sort of uh uh So the the Serbian psyche to some extent is that the war started because uh, a Bosniak, uh, a Muslim man killed somebody at a a Serbian wedding. That is to this day, the trigger of the war and it's like so random and so Mm. like not tied to the actual thing that was happening on the ground. Mm. But it just gives it gives this like romantic notion that you were on the right side of history. right? even mm. though you're not this mm. ability to accept responsibility in that space is just is, is, is mind boggling um, and the international community never really resolved it they, they got their sort of they got their recognition with mm-hmm. the dayton accords and they just left unfortunate situation um, but it's a situation that Bosnians on their own cannot solve because mm-hmm. it's so tied to that peace treaty and the international community forcing that treaty on the population forcing that
0: but Igor are do people in Bosnia watch films
1: they do but not enough of their own films Mm. in part because there aren't many Bosnian films Um, did they they, watch your earlier films they did like the films played most of the films played Sarajevo Mm, film festival or like other festivals in Bosnia Mm. Um, some of them some of the short films have been aired on television I don't think the features have mm. but like like the waiting room was was a film that's like half in English half in Bosnian mm. um, and then the first one was like a very sort of experimental narrative that would never be on that on a TV show like right. on television right and um, maybe this one would kind of translate into something that's a bit more mainstream mm. but yeah the, the film education in those countries is is not very advanced. Uh, there isn't, like, a huge audience for art house cinema. Mm. Um, so but there
0: is mainstream cinema th-
1: there? There's, like, the mainstream cinema that gets made there is mm. far, just like independent cinema, is not very often. Right. Um, and more of the sort of the regional mainstream cinema that gets, that gets, gets uh, absorbed. So, like, Serbia and Croatia have, like, a pretty big uh, machinery and they, they have, like, a few bigger mainstream films a year that come out. And right. those kinds of films would make an impact, would have, like, box office proceeds there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when a film like like uh, Yasmila's film or, like, Adonis Tanovic from, like, No Man's Land, yeah. there are certain films that, like, that capture the international community. And that, in turn, does help the film get more uh, buzz and people are interested in seeing it. But if the film is just doesn't get that international recognition, that buzz, then people are less interested in in, in venturing and seeing an art film made locally. Mm-hmm. So. So it's like a very it's a very. Um, it's an interesting situation, but it I think it, it has improved a bit mm-hmm. just before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. But now because of the pandemic and how things will recover, I'm not sure where that's heading.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And has TikTok reached there in Bosnia? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I think it's yeah, definitely. I've seen I've seen a lot of young people with TikTok. When I was there, I was when we were making uh, Tabia, the White Fortress. Hmm. Uh, some of the some of the crew members' kids were on TikTok, so I was like, what? I had no <laughs> idea what that was. I actually found out what that was when I was in pre-production for this film. Um, like in summer of 2019, I guess. And um, it was, uh, yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't have TikTok. I have no idea how to use it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I could see that how amusing it, it is, but like, mm. yeah, is it big in India?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> it's massive?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I'm not much of a, like, I don't have Instagram. Um, I'm really bad at using Facebook. I always joke with my friends, uh, they change the interface faster than I can post. <laughs> so so like I get lost in, in like the the constant re 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 reimagining, re redesigning of those uh uh the software. And uh yeah, like in part, like to be a filmmaker that can like really push your um your filmmaking, independent filmmaking, like you need this sort of social media apparatus. Mm. Um like some of that is done through our production company. So like that helps, like I don't have to be the one micromanaging it constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of it is, you know, I'm expected to do it. Um, and then like you get a little bit of push from, you know, telefilm from, um, UBC, the the school I work for, like they will sort of help get the film out at least in the local sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, but if you are starting out, like, the savvier you are with social media the more of of an impact your film is going to have so like i've seen i've seen some like really impressive films that where the filmmakers are just not as committed to that part of the endeavor Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: they don't do as well as like films that are far more mediocre um but they have this apparatus behind them. They, they know how to target the community. They know exactly who should watch their film, why they should watch it, how to get it to them. Um, so like taking time to kind of learn that aspect of it is mm-hmm. like so much more beneficial today than even when I was starting out because
2: mm-hmm.
1: those tools were still pretty, pretty primitive in like 2008, 9, 10. right? Like yes like targeting targeting your audience and stuff that was still very primitive yes Um, now it's way more advanced in terms of like how you are able to kind of um directly affect um uh an audience but like like not just in a digital sense but also like reaching into the community and whatnot so the way we the way we got a lot of people interested in my first uh feature for example is that Mm -hmm. I worked with, like, the ex-Yugoslav community, like, Bosnian, ex-Bosnian, Croatian, Serbian community, mm-hmm. you know, went to the went to their events, went to their markets and posted a lot about it, had posters, postcards everywhere, um, went on the radio there for that community, went on the television stations for that community, just to kind of get the buzz out, so, like, when you know your audience and who might respond to the film, mm-hmm. who might want to talk to, you can really get a lot of people out, mm-hmm. and, like, and we had a lot of people come out for for some of like the first screenings for for some Mm. of these films very
0: interesting so know know your know your audience and the filmmaker can reach
1: exactly like apart from once the festival sort of traction is sort of fading and you're thinking about how to distribute it outside Mm. of the festival space Mm. you really have to start um, thinking about uh, you know distributing it in your territory Mm. like and what is the sort of home territory and who Mm. is the Home viewer, so to speak.
2: Right,
0: right. Igor, what's next after Balinale for your film, The White Fortress?
1: Well, the the invitations we have, I can't share because mm. they're not allowing you to share that stuff. Sure. But um, but yeah, like it's like it's going to travel the festival circuit in Europe for and, for, and for, for a
0: while, for a while, for a year at least. Yeah. is what you're seeing.
2: Mm.
1: So like the the thing because everything is digital now, like it's one of those situations where you don't want you do not want to uh, ruin your premier status in a region right. for like a regional festival right. so sometimes it's a combination of like waiting for a bigger event that might be hybrid uh in the summer and like passing on like this entirely digital event so it, it's a it's a kind of it's, navi- it's like nav it's a very tricky thing because like no, no public has seen the film so like do you want just like VOD screens watching the film initially like for like a month or two before the summer special mm. or do you want to have the ability to um have people in cinemas in like in 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 smaller groups watch the film at least uh on on screen and then and then that can sort of create a buzz uh for the film um because with the VOD it's really hard to track I find it with the release of the short, for example, mm-hmm. of who's watched the film, right? Like uh, how many people are watching the film? Um, it, it, it doesn't have the same sort of tools that you would expect. Mm. Uh, whereas like if you're in a cinema, you know exactly who's in the cinema because you're there, right?
2: Right.
1: And there's a Q&A after. There's people can talk to you after screening. Uh, and that in turn can can can. Um, give you useful feedback, right, Right. that right now that that feedback is not as clear under under these new circumstances. Mm -hmm. So you have to be a bit more strategic. I find than even during the non pandemic days of like holding on, holding on to like uh, status premieres and, um, you know, waiting for like, you don't want to wait too long, but if it's an extra month or extra two months, for a hybrid event that actually has people uh, and theaters open versus an entirely digital event.
0: Right. Do you see yourself pitching your next project to a platform like Netflix directly? Like the Irishman? Or no, that's not the
2: right
1: I mean, Irishman was like funded through Netflix directly. Right, like correct. Do you see? If, 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 I mean, if the sales agent like comes to us and tells us that they want it, <laughs> um, I don't know, like I would probably have, we would have, we would have to sort of consider it if it if it's something that could probably help the film then Mm. maybe um i think the theater experience for films is extremely important Mm. like i there's almost this this um this ability to sort of hyper focus in a space this ability to sort of stay in a space with a community this idea it's almost like a religious experience there's like a there's a yes it's like going to whereas like you're sharing it as you're sharing a moment in time with these with these uh, strangers who likewise dedicated themselves to share this time for this moment hmm. it, there's something very kind of mesmerizing about that hmm. um th- regardless of what the reactions of the film are like but hearing the reaction right after hmm. i find to be kind of um uh I- interesting and and, and and informative um you know b- the people that hated the film, the people that love the film, just like <laughs> mm. the, the, the 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 intermingling of the conversations, mm. um, a, a, and I think that you, for cinema to kind of thrive, you need that communal sort of know um, mm. thing. Otherwise, the algorithms are going to be doing all the programming, right? That's like, true. no yeah, that's offense, true. To, no mm. offense to Netflix or Amazon. True. A lot of the stuff that gets that gets promoted or put in front of the library is not very good. Right. Like Mm. we're talking about, you know, there was a really interesting article recently about like how it's like we're talking about C or B minus content. Right. Mm. And like they have have stars attached to them, but Mm. these are like really like straight to video kind of films that would have been produced in the eighties and nineties. They would never reach the cinema. So we're talking about like writing and um, production value. Um, mostly the writing, not necessarily the production value. The production value could be high, mm-hmm. but uh, the writing that's sort of like more in line with those kinds of films, right? Mm-hmm. But they might have a huge A-list actor or like a big, big, big actor attached to it. It's only some films that they curate where like they give a, a, like a, a really important director the ability to kind of make whatever they want under that platform, and they only do that for like attention for the uh, award seasons. But there, you can only name like maybe four or five films a year that have that kind of treatment, right? The rest are mm-hmm. still like the B, C grade films uh, that would have essentially just gone straight to video. They would have never reached the cinemas. Mm-hmm. So I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the algorithm choosing yeah. what's but that's and, the, and the but that's the future is not going to be get, get better it's going to get worse
0: worse yeah but, and that's going to be the future but do you see yourself putting the archivist to netflix
1: you mean like the the episodic yeah if it if it gets if it gets made <laughs> um yeah y- y- i mean like for like a for a, for a show like that for a show like that yes like netflix or amazon or mm. apple or whatever those, those streamers that seems like a natural home yeah. Mm. yeah but uh not like it's not meant for the theater like the the that that particular um uh and, and th- th- that's developing
0: and do you see your next film like if it's like a, like a feature film going through the same route or do you see this change in strategy
1: I think we have to be a bit more open to working with, you know, whether it's streamers or or streamer like sort of uh, um, streamer like distribution models Mm. um, where like you 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 engage in the theatrical space for like a week or two. Right. And then you're on VOD right away. I mean, a lot of independent films in Canada only get a two week, um, a two week, maybe three week run. Hmm. It, and then they have like a second run, like in the second second viewing windows hmm. for second second run theaters, right? Like they have like the the from a bit from the they're a bit older. So like you you might only be in the theater for like three to four weeks at most, and then you're gonna be on a streamer or like a pay pay per view or uh, video on demand, like right after. So that model I don't think is going to be affecting the independent films as much unless the they the these the spaces closed down like that's the biggest sort of challenge like mm. can these cinemas survive the pandemic long enough
2: mm. to kind
1: of like to to allow for for these other films to also thrive right um, i mean i i want to say that like i think what wonder brothers did is very scary in terms of like yeah moving all their content
2: mm-hmm.
1: online for the year mm-hmm. uh, instead yes. of allowing some of the content to exist in this. And like, Denis Villeneuve yes. and, you know, all the other directors who have, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: reacted to that news. Yeah. It is scary. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to see Dune on on my small <laughs> screen. If I have the chance, I want to see it on the big screen. Yeah. How the, how the director intended it. Yes. And they shot it, like, in a particular way with, like, some of these films get shot on 65mm in re for that effect like watching a 65 millimeter film in your living room is not the same thing
2: yeah
1: Uh, so like there's there's just something about uh the economics of it during the pandemic that 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 is still sort of very much an unknown
2: Mm. uh
1: maybe things go back to normal maybe there's maybe there are better opportunities for independent filmmakers because there's fewer big films made uh, but there's more independent films made, yes. so like maybe there, maybe maybe we reach a cathartic moment that's actually helpful for uh, the independent-minded uh, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people want content. People want, but they also want curated content. So like curation is still really important, part, not an algorithm.
2: Mm-hmm
0: great igor i really really appreciate your th- time thank you so much for uh, for joining in for this amazing amazing conversation and the pointers you put across and uh, can you please pronounce your surname
1: oh thank you uh, for having me uh, my surname is um,
0: <laughs> okay that's gonna be difficult for me yeah, to pronounce so i'm yeah, gonna see okay. her. How- <laughs> 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 all right So that's it folks. Uh, do try and catch The White Fortress whenever you get the chance to watch it. Whenever you get the chance to watch it, it's going to travel to the festivals. And there's another film which I would like to recommend to you guys and that's called Noturno, which is now playing on Mubi. It is described as a film that captures the silence in between the nodes. So go watch it twice and thank me later.